Today's program was brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, and welcome to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today we're coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can listen to After the Jump every Wednesday at 1 p.m. on heritageradionetwork.org or download the podcast on iTunes anytime. Growing up, there's always that one person in your school that you know is going to make it big one day. They have that certain something, a drive that stands out from the crowd and talent that goes well beyond their years. And for me, that person was someone I met when I was 12 years old at a summer camp in West Virginia. Anna Sale was the coolest girl at Camp Allegheny. Seemingly unaffected by the trends, clicks, and things that the rest of us were worried about, Anna always seemed to me like she knew exactly who she was at a time when most of us were struggling to fit in. She had one foot in the future and adulthood in a way that I completely envied. She listened to the coolest music and cared about the environment and feminism in a way that I hadn't even begun to consider. And after college and several moves, we reconnected in Brooklyn 10 years later, and I was overjoyed, but not surprised, to find out that she was already making a huge impression on the world of political journalism. After working as a reporter for West Virginia Public Broadcasting and WNPR in Connecticut, Anna moved to New York City, where she worked as a producer for The Takeaway, a show produced by WNYC and the Public Radio International, and she now works as a politics reporter for WNYC, where she hosts her truly brilliant podcast, Death, Sex, and Money, which BuzzFeed recently named one of the top 12 podcasts that will make you a better human, and it's consistently in the number one spot on the iTunes podcast charts. Anna has interviewed everybody from Jane Fonda and Ellen Burstyn to comedian Chris Gethard and former NFL player Dominique Foxworth. And today I'm honored to be interviewing her, and I'm excited to hear more about what led her to the path she's on today and how she feels about the current world of podcasting and women in the media. So, Anna, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> it's very kind. And just for, for everyone listening, Anna just ran and, and successfully finished the New York City Marathon this weekend. So a huge congratulations on that. Thanks. <laughs> it's always a little surreal to interview somebody that you know in real life, and especially if you've known them since the days of mixtapes and color wars and summer camp. But I feel like even then, when we were young and we were singing the circle game around the campfire, I knew that you were going to grow up and do something and well, lots of things that were really, really special and important. So I want to back up a little bit and tell people who um, or where you got, how you got to where you are today. Could you tell everybody listening where you grew up and what your family was like? Sure. And I just want to first make it clear that when I was 12 years old at Camp Allegheny for Girls, I did not feel like I had anything <laughs> figured out or that I was cool. But it was, I knew, remember that we did have amazing fun times together. <laughs> um, so I grew up in Charleston, West Virginia, which is the state capital of West Virginia, a town of about 50,000 people. Uh, I have four sisters which I think is important in terms of my personality. I'm a middle child, so I think that that is, uh, you know, 
when you're a middle child, you're always looking for a way to get a little attention. <laughs> so I think that's been a driver in my career in media. Um, and, uh, and I didn't know that I wanted to be in journalism until well after college. It was sort of a thing where I knew I liked to write. Um, and you mentioned when I was like, a, when I was a kid, I was like kind of the activisty kid who like did book reports on Susan B. Anthony in early elementary school. And I remember feeling like reporters were these bystander people who just wrote down all the other great things that the actual movers and shakers in the world did. Um, but then kind of through, it was through falling in love with radio and, and falling in love with like what Terry Gross was able to do and, and what the way that you felt when you listened to radio, like that's what drew me into journalism. And then I discovered, oh, when you're a journalist, you just ask people, you know, you don't ask permission before you ask them really tough questions if you're covering politics or very personal questions if you're doing an interview show. Um, and I've actually stopped covering politics as a reporter on the beat and now do Death, Sex, and Money is my kind of full-time thing, which is really awesome pretty awesome yeah that's i think it's pretty rare to have a full-time podcasting job it <laughs> speaks to how highly your show is, is respected um for me west virginia is this very special place and the state motto of which is wild and wonderful is the most fitting one of all the states um what does west virginia mean to you and how did that shape the way that you view the world or experience it now i think it was it's a huge huge like i so i grew up in west virginia and west virginia is this place that you know, it's it's it, it it feels like it's always struggling to get respect from the rest of the country. Um, it's a poor state. It's a it's a, a coal state, an energy state. Um, it's kind of, uh, but there's but what what I think is is very special about West Virginia is there's a very ingrained sense of home that you get when you're in those hills. I mean, it's part of it is that you actually feel held by these green rolling hills that are around you and you can't see the, there's no flat horizon um, because it's the mountain state. Um, but there's also a sense of like, even the most highfalutin fancy person in West Virginia, when they leave the state, they tell people they're from West Virginia and they get made fun of. So there's, there's a kind of um, egalitarianism and uh, lack of tolerance for snobbery in West Virginia that I really love and appreciate and I'm really glad that I got it from living there. Um, I left West Virginia and went to college in California, went to Stanford and I was there during the height of like the first boom was my freshman year. And I can remember being like having this very visceral reaction to that um, gold rush feeling. Um, and everybody, even like 18 year old freshmen in college were talking about how they were going to get rich. And I was like, I want to take English classes. <laughs> and so I think that that, like, that kind of period, that, that first couple of weeks of freshman year, I, I kind of became obsessed with West Virginia and Appalachia and, and then figured out how to organize my whole sort of college curriculum around, you know, the history of Appalachia and went back uh, for five years after college. And that's where I started in radio. And it was, really was, I felt like... Um, this sort of, you know, when you're from a place where everybody leaves when they finish high school, that idea of like going back felt really important. And it, it's, I don't live there now. And, and, um, you know, West Virginians get a chip on their shoulder about that, about people leaving. Um, but I, I do, I do think it really, I'm so glad I started in journalism there. And I'm so glad I'm from there. 
I'm glad you mentioned before uh, all of your incredible sisters, because as someone on the outside looking in, that's always been something I so strongly associate with you, with like huh. the strong women in your family. Um, how did those women and the way you were raised shaped your views on women um, from a young age, and how does it affect you now? I Well, I think one thing that's kind of... Um, was really important in my growing up is my dad had a first marriage and had two daughters who, when I was growing up, um, would stay with us during the summers and come during holidays. And they're nine and 11 years older than me. So they're my half sisters, but I consider them my full sisters because they've always been fully in my life. But they were like the cool, like teenage kids who would come and like teach us about music when, you know, when I'm seven and eight and they're like, you know, this is the latest thing. And, and they were the safe place to ask about sex and drugs and, and, you know, what was okay and what wasn't okay. And I think having that mediating force, you know, and they were born in the late sixties and early seventies, which for women in America, like my mom was born, she's a boomer. So that's one specific experience of womanhood. And then, then my oldest sisters were born in the sixties and seventies. And, and so I feel like I just got a lot of different influences about, um, you know, when to speak up and how to what was okay in terms of, you know, I mean, when you're when you're growing up, the questions you have are mostly about boys and sex and what's okay and what's you know weak and what's strong and and um, and so I so I had those the, the my sisters to bounce that off of, and then the other thing my my sisters i so that i'm one of three with of daughters of my mom and then my older sister the oldest of that three batch it's confusing but she she came out as a lesbian in high school and so that i've sort of like her name is ellen and and she came out like right around when ellen came out. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems very like this quintessential american moment um when ellen came out uh and and so i don't know i just feel like and and they we've made a lot of different choices about you know, only one of my sisters has kids. Um, most of them are married. I'm divorced, getting getting ready to get married for a second time. We've had really different kind of life designs. And so just seeing that and seeing that it's all okay has been um, really valuable. Because I think as women, if you're figuring out what's family going to look like, what's work look like, like how do I manage these trade-offs? And then to see that there are a lot of different ways to do it and that that's okay. I think that's, um, that just lets a little pressure off. Mm -hmm. Um, I was reading an interview with you on Bedford and Bowery, which is this web collaboration between New York magazine and NYU, where you said, as a woman, if I hadn't been tasked an assignment to write down my show idea, which turned into death, sex and money, I never would have started a show on my own. I thought this is an assignment. I can do this. Whereas for men, they're likely to put themselves forward saying, I want to do this thing. I want to talk about that uh -huh. that gender issue happening there, but first, let's tell people um, what sort of inspired the show and where did you get that idea? Um, so, death, sex, and money. It basically the name came first, and I was like, I want to do a show where we talk about the things that we actually think about late at night and feel the most alone around. Um, and that came from a couple of different things, like covering elections and like when you talk to voter after voter and you, you're basically asking like, what are you afraid of and what are you anxious about? And you hear all these stories and then you get to use like 10 seconds of that tape and the rest of it has to be what the politicians are saying. That was unsatisfying. Um, also, I was had, you know, was two years out of a divorce and was trying to figure out what my life was going to look like and how I was going to support myself in New York City and and like 
you know, was having all these conversations with people in my life over drinks and, you know, how are they doing or how they do it? And, and like, there was no version of that in the public conversation, at least, um, on public radio. And, and I think in podcasts, as podcasts were emerging, like in that time, it's like, that's a safe space to kind of go to those deeper places that you can't go in quite the same way on broadcast, just because you don't know if there are little kids in the back of the car, you know? Um, so, so all of that was sort of floating and I was, you know, had covered politics exclusively for a number of years and was getting a little burned out on campaigns. And, and at that moment, WNYC, the public radio station in New York, where I work, they sent out the, my boss, Chris sends out this company wide memo. It's just like, we're looking for new show ideas and we know you all are smart, talented people make your pitch. There's going to be a contest and, uh, the winning entries get to do some piloting. So it was like, that was the assignment. It was like, cause otherwise when you're like, Oh, I have this idea. And I think that this rough kind of sense of like what kind of conversations I would most love to do if I didn't have to do my job all the time. Um, but all of a sudden it was like, you have to write this down cause it's due on this particular date and you just have to do this treatment and say, this is what it's going to be. This is who I'm you know, hoping to talk to. This is who I'm hoping to reach. And I could totally do that. And then they, the, the question, one of the questions was, like, who would host this show? And I was like, oh, I would totally host this show. And then you're like, is that going to look, I don't know, arrogant? Or should I put somebody else? So it could, could it be more successful under somebody else who actually knows how to host a show? I was like, I want to host this show. <laughs> so I put that in. That's what I proposed. I'm glad you did. I think that's something that happens to women a lot is when we choose to put ourselves in the center. There's like this weird voice that sometimes happens of like, oh, am I going to seem narcissistic if I put myself in the front of that? And I've literally never met a man who who has ever yeah. felt that or told, <laughs> at least admitted that they felt that that way. And I'm, I'm so glad that you chose to at least pitch yourself as, as the host. Cause I think that's rightfully what should be happening. Um, tell people a little bit about how your show works. How big is your team and how long does it take to produce a single episode from concept to airing? Sure. So the podcast is um, basically it's produced interviews. So um it feels like a combination between sort of an interview podcast, other interviews podcast you might hear and like something that has, has music scoring like this American life. So it's sort of a hybrid of those two. Um, so it takes, uh, it takes some time to produce each episode because not only does it take time to edit them and kind of make sure the narrative pacing works right, but also making sure the interview warrants a full episode. Um, so, uh, it's a combination of interviews with people who are famous like Jane Fonda and, um, Bill Withers, the musician, Dan Savage, some of my favorite episodes. Um, but also people who aren't famous because the idea is like everybody struggles and has stories to tell about confronting death, sex, and money in their lives. So, um, so I would say, I mean, it takes a long time from like first thinking about a guest in reaching out to when that episode comes out, but we're doing so many different things at once, um, that, that it, you know, you're, you're booking one episode while you're doing another interview, while you're editing another interview. And, um, the final product is like a, you know, it's podcast, so it can range in length, but it's 20 to, you know, 40, sometimes 50 minute long episodes. I have so much to ask you about that. <laughs> uh, we have to take a quick break. Uh, so we'll be right back with Anna Sale of Death, Sex, and Money. 
Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years. So it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will, too. And I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. Reggie Watts, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hey, and welcome back to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today we're talking about radio, podcasting, and women in the media with Anna Sale of WNYC's Death, Sex, and Money podcast, a show about all the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. So before the break, we were talking about women in the media, and I want to go back to that earlier comment about men feeling more comfortable putting themselves forward to essentially ask for what they want. Do you think that women are getting better at asking for what they want, or do you think that's something that's still sort of a primary issue under underlying everything? I don't know. I think I think women are getting better at it um, because there's more examples of when women show up and do their thing. They do kick-ass things. Like I feel like just thinking about Lena Dunham and Broad City and like what has happened just in the last like you know five years in media in terms of the visibility of young women makers um is so awesome uh i think sure i think it's there's that that initial impulse to like step forward um is hard uh i think it's hard for everybody and i think it's particularly harder for women and like i do think in some ways like lean in is a helpful um mantra and i i my favorite thing is to tell men to lean in when they're telling me they're afraid to do something <laughs> i'm like lean in um so uh but i do think it but i do think it's getting better i think that um like the the visibility of of women in power is accelerating so quickly you know like we we like i grew up we grew up at a time when like girl power was like, that was like girls who were like five or, you know, five years younger than us. And it was like the girls on the soccer field and like, you can have girl power on the soccer field. But like the pace at which there's been an acknowledgement in society that women have earning power, political power, uh, and just powered generally in the last like five years is just incredible. And I think that that's good. I'm so glad you mentioned broad city. I'm, massively obsessed with that television show but i also think they represent this wonderful idea of what women can and should look like in the media i feel like in the era we grew up in of sort of girl with multiple r's girl Mm -hmm. power um i feel like my idea of oh like women can be powerful and strong and angry i carry that with me as like oh okay if i'm going to be a strong woman i'm also going to be angry Uh, and sort of like aggressive and i'm going to wear combat boots and that is in my head still kind of like my childlike version of what of what power is and i like seeing women like alana glazer and abby jacobson on tv just being awesome and in charge but just kind of being themselves Silly. and don't need to be any tougher or harder than they are um and i think people like you and terry gross and i love debbie millman who runs the podcast uh-huh. design matters you guys are such great examples of people hosting like really insightful and thoughtful shows. What do you think needs to change both internally and externally for more women to get into the world of podcasting in particular? I think it is, I think it's, and I sound like I'm so, so 
positive right now, but I do feel <laughs> like, I mean, when Debt, Sex, and Money, when I first thought of it, which is like early 2013, there had just been a study or a survey done by by a, a woman named Julie Shapiro in public media who just looked at like the dearth of of woman ho- women hosted podcast in the iTunes top charts. And so it became this like call for like, we've got to address this issue for public radio native um, podcasting. And so that was sort of the, in that time, death, sex and money was kind of getting formed. And I think it was part of the reason why it was something that like seemed like a good thing to invest in. Um, but, but it, that was, you know, two a year and a half ago. And just recently Radiotopia, which is another, um, public radio sort of native uh, podcasting network run by the public radio exchange. They have this Kickstarter campaign and they were like, if we meet this certain goal, we're going to green light these new three podcasts that are going to be part of our, our, our network. And it's going to bring us to equal representation of female and male hosts in our network. And it's awesome that they, because when they first launched, they, you know, they were, it was male dominated. They had a few hosted by women, uh, strangers and the kitchen sisters podcast called fugitive waves were original members, but now they're adding three more women hosted podcasts. So I think there's been an acknowledgement, um, at least in the public radio world of podcasting that, that, that there needed to be quick improvement. And I think that's, that is happening. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit more about the actual stories you're telling on your site, because for me, the greatest podcasts really kind of make their central topic about storytelling. Um, I think that your sh- your show in particular deals with such sort of scary and sensitive topics, um, but you seem to have a way of making everyone feel comfortable enough on air to talk yeah. about things that most people won't share with sometimes even the person they share their life with. How do you approach personal storytelling, and do you have any rules about what you will and won't ask people on air? Um, it's really helpful that it's a recorded show because that that level of safety of like, look, we're having this conversation, but it's not immediately going out to an audience, um, I think puts puts one level of security in. Uh, and the way I describe the show and I'm trying to get, to get people to come on is like moments of transition in life and we focus on personal stories and and um, yes, death, sex and money is the name, but it's, it's you know, both irreverent and sensitive and it's not um, provocative for provocative for the sake of being provocative, it's provocative for the reason of like, these are things that we're actively avoiding, but really feel like we want to work out. And, um, my hope is that it feels comfortable because it's like the act of listening to somebody talk about a vulnerable thing makes you feel more safe. I mean, that's the thing about exposing yourself. It ultimately makes people feel safer together. Um, and, and Simpson, uh, who is the wife of former Republican Senator Alan Simpson from Wyoming. They were early guests on one of the first episodes of the show. Alan and Simpson, through a crazy story, got involved in my love life. Um, they're both in their 80s. And Ann Simpson is this gift uh, who I didn't know when I when we first when we first met. But one of the things she says is like, openness creates openness. And she just, that was her sort of life philosophy that I didn't know. And then we had this incredible interview about their marriage um and i do believe that like once you say we're gonna we're gonna go to some places like then other people feel braver to go places too absolutely i was gonna ask you about that later but let's skip to it now (laughs) i think it's one of the most beautiful but it's such a brave thing to share publicly was your own story of how the simpsons affected your love life Mm -hmm. tell people that story for people who haven't heard the episode sure it's It's pretty um, special 
it's 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 amazing, and it, and it's all it's amazing because of Arthur, who is uh, my boyfriend, fiance, who I'm marrying. But at the time that all of this was happening, we were broken up uh, because we'd reached one of those impasses in a relationship where it felt like our lives didn't um, sync up in the way that they need to sync up if you're going to have a long term relationship. And so I basically had said, I want kids. I'm in my early 30s you got to figure this out. And if you haven't, you know, if you can't figure out how we can be together, like, I love you. Let's just go about our, our ways. Um, and Arthur agreed when we first broke up and then he panicked and realized he didn't want to break up. And I was like, you're, you know, one of the, you know, that moment of a breakup where you're like, you just don't want to be alone, whatever. And so then what happens is I get this phone call on my cell phone from former Senator Alan Simpson who um, you might not know him. He was last in office in the 90s. He's this like six and a half feet tall man in his 80s, rail thin, who is from the West. And he talks like a cowboy and like kind of gleefully curses like a sailor as a great storyteller. Um, But I had never met him. I just knew him from covering politics. And he informs me on my cell phone that he has gotten this letter from Arthur, who has asked for his help because the love of his life has escaped him and he he needs he needs help to reconnect and uh, it was a ridiculous gesture that made no sense um, but Al and Anne Anne gets on the phone too so, so these two people I don't know start talking to me about relationships and they start talking to me about their marriage and how everybody has hard times and they talk about their couples counseling and they just just open up this conversation about like yeah sure it's hard to figure out how to match things up um and so one thing leads to another and we become friends and i'm like oh by the way i'm starting a radio show (laughs) (laughs) and can i talk to you about all the things you've taught me about relationships and um so arthur and i end up getting back together Basically, through because he wrote a letter to Alan Simpson, it, which seems crazy, but it's it's to me it was like this signal of like this is a man who is willing to ask for help when we need it. This is a man who is willing to risk humiliation uh, for the sake of our relationship, and we like were able to have some really hard conversations. So that was what was happening in my personal life. Then to choose to do a radio show about it was terrifying because. I had been a reporter, uh, you know, very traditional kind of reporting where I was not the center of any of the stories that I'd told before. And the fact that I was like part of the part of the plot points were that I was divorced before. And so I was afraid of failing and that I was afraid that my biological clock was going to expire. Like that is scary stuff to say. And I can remember actually when like Voight, when I was reading those lines in the studio, I was like, oh, my God, I can't. Oh, my God. Um, but I'm really I feel so proud of that story because uh, I think it, it like it does all the things that I want the show to do, which is to like signal that like. I don't have anything figured out either. I'm asking for help. Like these 80 year olds also have, you know, are still figuring out some things in their relationship. You know, they live in Wyoming and are Republicans and I live in New York city and like, uh, recovered like just the fact that you can find a place to come together around some of the kind of essential universal questions and help each other. Um, it's like what I want the show to do. 
I love that story. I can't wait for Jennifer Garner to play you in the film version of your life. She's from my hometown. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I've always secretly loved her. I feel like she must be nice because she's from West Virginia. We went to the same high school. And she has a dog named Martha Stewart. So (laughs) in loving in effect in an affectionate way. Um, I want to ask you a question about one last question about sort of women related to media. Um, when I listen to your show, I often sort of pay attention to how well you listen and how I hear so much of your guest's voice, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think women listen differently or tell stories differently than men? It's, I feel like I listen to a wide range of podcasts and I feel that I often notice that men spend so much of the time of the show telling their own story, whereas I notice a lot of female hosts sort of shorten their questions and give their guests a lot of room to talk. Um, have you noticed that, or do you think that gender isn't a factor in something like that? Um, I, I think that that would be the, like, like the, the um, simplific- like the way, the thing that you would expect, like, based on how meetings go when you're sitting around a table and how men participate in conversations versus how women participate in conversations. Like, um, you know, the sort of stereotype is that women sit back listen and then come to you know adding something at the end whereas men are much more likely to kind of barge in and interrupt and you know cast their narrative first um so i think that there is something to that uh i think there is something to that but that being said like um like what what women do and what men do when i come out of like a public radio place like public radio dudes are, don't fit the sort of hard charging, you know, mold of like ultra masculine, ultra insensitive, ultra unaware of their surroundings. Like, um, so I don't think that those, th- those stereotypes necessarily fit. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have one last question. Um, I was reading an interview that you did with the Riveter and you said about your own podcast that you want to ask people how they've done this, which is deal with difficult topics and issues because you want to figure this out yourself. What's coming next for you and what are the stories and issues that are top of your mind these days and how can we expect to see them pop up on upcoming uh, episodes of Death, Sex and Money? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, so I'm getting married and I'm like, oh God, how can you do interesting storytelling around <laughs> planning a wedding? I think it's impossible. So I don't know if I'm going to like get into that. Um, figuring out like choices and choices and then realities of like family planning and like... Um, just like seeing what my friends have gone through as they've, you know, embarked on trying to get pregnant or making choices about family or like, what does that mean for how much money we have to earn or where we're going to live and da, 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 da. you know, all of that lays ahead for, for me. Um, but I'm also kind of interested in getting away from solely focusing on my relationship and, and, and also thinking about like questions of, money and status you know ongoing like just what it is to survive in america in the 21st century and then also thinking about like what it is to have aging parents and and when you don't live in the place where you grew up um my sisters are all scattered all over the place and the parents that we love a lot are still in west virginia so i think that those are all things that like I'm going to be dealing with, but also America is going to be dealing with as, as the boomers age. And like, so I think that there's a lot like, and then my mortality, <laughs> like death is the first name of the show. Like that will be a perennial <laughs> issue. Um, so I think that there's a lot, a lot left to explore. <laughs> Good. Well, we're almost out of time, but I want to ask you a couple quick questions. Mm-hmm. Just how I end every radio show. So sit back and enjoy the short questions. <laughs> what is the first website that you load every morning? 
Oh, that's a good. It's like embarrassing. I think I think it's probably it's it's probably Twitter, which I find a little bit embarrassing to say. And then it's the New York Times. Who's someone that you look up to when times are tough? Look up to when times are tough. Like when when something terrible happens and I need, I just need help. I call. I I like will. I will call all of my sisters until someone picks up. <laughs> What's your favorite guilty pleasure activity or pastime? I love Us Weekly. Oh, I too. love it so much. <laughs> I used to have a subscription at my house, but I don't anymore. Um, uh, so, but that's like makes like that's the thing. I buy like the smart magazines and also Us Weekly whenever I have an airplane trip. And of course, I read Us Weekly first. <laughs> um, it, and I also really I love I love Shonda. I'm really into Scandal. <laughs> I think what she's doing is revolutionary. I love her. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received from your parents? Ooh, from my parents. Uh, my dad has a bunch of really good aphorisms. Um, like one, project yourself as a role model is one of his favorites. Um, he also says timing is everything. Uh, my mom, my mom's advice has just always, she, she, I've just always felt, like she fully has faith in my ability to navigate and make decisions. And that's like such a gift. Absolutely. And the last one, if you could give anyone a radio show, who would you want to hear on air and what would you like to hear them talk about? That's really a good question. That's, um, I would love to hear, gosh, um, I want to give a good answer to this, and it's uh, the, the one that I recently thought about a lot was um, Dominique Foxworth, who was this. He he was on an episode of Death, Sex, and Money, but he is a, a retired NFL player. He's in his early thirties, a, a multimillionaire from being a professional football player, um, but is like still trying to figure out, like now that football's over, like how to get respect in the world, what really matters, how to take care of his family while also being ambitious. And he was like incredibly curious during our conversation. And like we had to get out of the studio before he could ask me a bunch of questions and he was really frustrated by that. So I thought I would really like to hear like what questions he has because he had such an atypical um, you know, adolescence and, and coming of age when you're like a celebrity athlete you're never like one of the pack and trying to find your win. So now he's trying to like reintegrate like post post NFL career. Like that, that I just would want to know what questions he has for people. Good answer. Anna, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having you me. You have inspired me to use my voice for a very, very long time. And you've inspired me. My God. <laughs> Are you kidding? Thanks, Anna. Um, I'm so glad that everybody else can listen to you now every other week on Death, Sex, and Money. Uh, tell people where they can find you online. Yes. Um, death, Sex, Money at, or DeathSexMoney.org is the website. And then you can also find us on iTunes. And we would love it if you subscribe. It's a must listen, you guys. Definitely make sure you download it. Anna, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks to everybody for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. 
To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.